Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey everybody, I'm so glad you're here today for Sex, Love and Addiction. It's always a pleasure and an honor to do this show. And as you guys know, I particularly enjoy doing it when I'm working with someone that I respect and enjoy, or he is even a friend. And in this case, this uh, colleague of mine is all three, and he's been on the show before. We're now working together, Dr. David Fawcett. Welcome, David. Thank you so much, Rob. Really a pleasure to be here. David and I have started on a project. For those of you who've been listening to this series, David is an expert in what we call chemsex or the combination of drug abuse and sexual behavior. And this can occur in a variety of ways. We Some are very familiar to some of you. Some will be uh, unknown to some of you. So we're going to spend a little show talking about all the different ways that drugs and sex can combine and why we're trying to evolve treatment for that specifically. So David, um, maybe you could start by talking a little bit. You wrote a book called lust, men, and meth. And he's very familiar with this population of men, both straight and gay, who combine methamphetamines and other stimulants like cocaine with sexual behavior. And over time, the behavior comes fused, becomes fused so that the person's unable to separate the addiction or the problem sexual behavior from the problem drug use. And then they need to be treated for both. So David, can you talk a little bit about that population? Yeah, this is, a, I think, a really under-recognized phenomenon. I think traditionally treatment has approached uh, solving the drug problem, hoping the sex problem will resolve after that. And it often doesn't because, just as you said, those have become fused. And it really is a, a matter of brain chemistry where the two, there's an expression in neurology, what fires together, wires together. And that simply means that if you do two things at the same time and dopamine is involved, which it is with methamphetamine, other amphetamines, and, and a lot of drugs, it bonds those two things together. Much in the same way as your dog will uh, learn how to expect a treat if he sees a hears a bell or something like that. So um, the Pavlovian, be, this is Pavlovian it, classical conditioning, we call it. And yes, it's Pavlovian. It's, it's just like that. And we see that with with uh, people who even start to think about drugs or think about sex. That same response to, starts to happen where they they salivate in their own way yeah, and in sexual desire. So maybe you can help explain this to me. I was running a therapy group a few years ago, and I had one of these drug and sex addicts or sex and drug addicts. I'm not sure what to call them, but they have a combined problem in my group. And he was talking about, he had been in therapy, he was in a treatment center, and he was talking about having had a difficult experience with his family over the weekend. And I was sitting in a group with him on Monday and he was saying, God, I just want to use, I want to get us some meth. I just want to disappear. I want to speed out. And then without 
a break in his sentence. He said, and I want to masturbate and I want to get off and I want to jack. And I, I got this feeling like he was, it was all the same thing in his mind. Yeah. Can you help explain that? I think that's exactly right. First of all, anybody that any addict, when they experience an uncomfortable emotion, are going to kind of go to their, their medicine, right? And the medicine can be sex, it can be drugs. But if they've had that uh, phenomenon where these are fused, the two really become one and one leads to the other. So somebody might have a drug trigger immediately followed, as you, as you just said, by a, a trigger to masturbate. And it works the other way as well. And those two things become so combined that one automatically triggers the other in a way that's really makes recovery that much more difficult for people. So what you're saying, and, and I'll just say this to you guys, we, David and I are working as a part of a company called Seeking Integrity. And our goal is to evolve and advance treatment for addicts of all kinds so that we can most effectively help them heal for the long term, not just for the day they leave the treatment center. And one of the holes in the market or one of the challenges that we've seen in the field is that this combined issue of the fusion of intimacy and sexual behavior with drug use is really not addressed in drug and alcohol treatment centers, almost to a one and you and I have sat in centers where they say, oh, you got a big drug problem. Let's just talk about the drugs. And then when you're sober, since all that crazy sexual behavior happened when you were not sober, now that you're going to be sober on drugs, you won't have a sex problem anymore. And it seems to me, David, that it's more that these people who are running treatment centers don't know how to or don't want to talk about the sex. So it's all too convenient that this idea that when the drugs go away, we don't have to deal with a sexual issue. I think we as clinicians are really undertrained in how to talk about sex, how to deal with sex. And anytime we're dealing with any kind of addiction, uh, even a, a substance addiction, sex is involved. And I think we, we just do a tremendous disservice to our clients if we don't really investigate and know how to get a sexual history and know how to conceptualize a case that includes these sexual problems. And, and some of it, I think, is the clinician's discomfort with the topic. Some of it is a lack of knowledge. And some of it is just kind of the way we've always done things. Well, I think also when it comes to sex, there's a sense of that's private. You know, I don't ask, I can ask people at eating, I can ask them about exercise. And just so you folks know, you know, when David, when Dr. Fawcett says that we're not well-trained in human sexuality, I really want you to know that most master's level therapists at every university in the United States, whether it's high level or your local, are required to get about one, about six weeks of training in human sexuality, if that. And... By the way, they're also required to get about six weeks of training in the addictions. And guess what? Every therapist runs into the minute they walk out of school. A lot of people with addiction problems, a lot of people with sexual problems, divorce, infidelity. So many of the issues that we deal with at the most concerning levels um, are ones we're sort of the least trained in. And David, how do you how do you think we're going to fix that at Seeking Integrity? And what do you see us doing together that might be different? Because I'm kind of hopeful about this. Well, first of all, I think I just want to mention that you and I have had a lot more specialty training in terms of clinical sexology. So we have some expertise that I think some therapists don't. And I think we bring that along with years of both of us, years working in addiction in a way to conceptualize this, this approach. Uh, and I think it's tremendously important in the work we're doing that these things are recognized as something to be treated simultaneously and to be recognized that they're all aspects of one addiction, one addictive problem for these clients. Well, that is the issue oftentimes is people who don't understand addiction say, oh, well, you know, they're just sleazy or they're just a bad person or they're just a pervert or the sexual problem isn't conceived as a part of the larger whole, which is their sexual acting out just like their drug use may have to do with trauma or defending themselves or surviving difficult emotional circumstances. But we put sort of pop culture labels on that. 
this is what we're you and I are trying to move beyond. And I think you know the whole field of addiction has been uh, overlaid with this, this issue of morality for so long that it's it's a moral issue, not a medical issue. And I think we're moving a little bit past that in substance addictions, but we still certainly see that with sexual behavior. And I think that bleeds into the the standard treatment approach. Well, gamblers, overeaters spenders and people with sexual issues, all the behavioral addictions are still get a tremendous amount of moral judgment because I think we have a sense in the culture. Well, you know, if you're, if you're doing a drug and you're addicted to it, you know, nothing you do, your body eventually takes over and you can't stop. But this idea that your body might become somehow addicted to the results of what a behavior delivers you, that is much harder for people in the culture to understand. Right. I found one of the best way to illustrate that is to actually show brain scans that show the brain lighting up mm-hmm. uh, with uh, a behavioral addiction or even thoughts of a behavioral addiction, just like they do with drugs. I think that problem will kind of fade as, as science helps us document that, but it's certainly an issue today. Well, addiction is addiction is addiction. Really what that means is, is it doesn't matter so much what you're struggling with. What matters is how you begin to change your life and recognize how to move beyond it. And really they all amount to the same kind of life-sucking monkey on your back, um, whether there's one or six or they're all combined or separated or they follow one another. Or, And by the way, folks, I think this is often under-recognized in addiction treatment that I can work with a sex addict who gets sober and then he gains 50 pounds when he leaves treatment because he's trying to feed himself emotionally with food instead of sex. And maybe you run into this too. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's very common to kind of transfer addictions like that. And it's a classic, I think, for someone to give up alcohol or drugs and, and gain a lot of weight. Uh, in fact, you know, the big book recommends eating sugar uh, as an old, old way to distill those cravings. But, but it's a big issue that we see all the time. And I think it's Seeking Integrity. What is unique about that program is that we can really approach these as one set of similar problems in the same addiction, working in a way that helps people get their coping skills that are healthy. I think... A lot of times when people are triggered, when they're feeling an uncomfortable emotion, when they're just bored sometimes with these stimulant addicts who are really addicted to the stimulation and drama, sometimes they just seek that way to escape and, and amplify it. So staying with a chemsex addict, meaning in my mind, the stimulant sex addict, why do they need a differentiated treatment? What is different for them that requires, I mean, why can't they just say, okay, well, I've stopped the drugs. I'm probably not going to do all the crazy sex that I did during the drugs. So I don't really need to look at that. I mean, why, why do we, why have we come together at Seeking Integrity and said, okay, we're going to do this differently? What, what needs to be done differently? So I think if you have your typical chemsex addict who either does it on their own or goes to a traditional program or treatment program. Like your average 28 day addiction. Right. Uh So they may get clean and sober and that's a difficult thing with amphetamines, but oftentimes their sex life just totally disappears Mm -hmm. because the two has been paired. So paired, right. Mm -hmm. And so they give up the drugs. There goes the sex. And sometimes that's a blessing. People kind of take sex off the table for a couple months. They can get focused on the drug sobriety. But eventually as part of healthy life, we have to incorporate healthy sexuality back into our lives. And I've had clients come to me with a year clean, a year and a half clean, and no sexual desire whatsoever. And that's just not healthy. So what you're saying is that when they are in treatment, you need to anticipate this, let them know that they're going to lose desire, but talk to them about how to begin to approach healthy sexuality and recovery? Absolutely. And I think there are, there are tips that people uh, can learn to help that process. And it's a long process, by the way. I don't want to probably, our, our program is just the beginning Uh, of a long process of recovery. Well, I think any treatment, and this is something I think the general public doesn't understand, and I I understand why. You know, when you go into the hospital because you have 
a broken something or other, they kind of fix it. And maybe you go home and recuperate it, but then it's done. And so people expect that when you go to treatment for 28 days or 14 days or whatever it is, that somehow you're going to get fixed and the problem's going to be gone because that's mostly what happens in the medical field. But what we deal with in addictions is much more like diabetes or some chronic emphysema, a chronic illness that will always during the lifespan require attention and help. And we don't expect, I don't expect someone to leave treatment and get it perfectly. What you need to know, by the way, out there is that when someone does go to treatment, what we do expect is, and this is almost always the case, that if they do return to using, they use less. They use in less uh, problematic ways. They're more aware of it and they get themselves to help faster. So to me, that's a win. Whereas someone else might say, oh, well, treatment didn't work. They had a slip. I'm thinking, well, of course they're going to have a slip, but what did they do with it? And how did they move forward back into the healing is what matters. And that's, I think, what we're trying to teach them. And with chemsex, what we know from amphetamines and, and a lot of the behavioral addiction, particularly porn and sex addiction, is that it really affects the brain structure. And the how, brain how is that? So with this uh, intensity, this kind of, st- kind of chronic stimulation or need for high intensity, after a while, the brain uh, tries to accommodate by turning down the volume, basically, uh, because of all the stimulation. And it does that by shedding dopamine receptors and, and making other adaptations. So if someone takes away that high level of stimulation to get clean and sober, or they stop acting out sexually, suddenly they're not getting the level of stimulation. They become extremely depressed. Mm. And the other thing is that uh, with this, particularly with chemsex, and I think sex addiction to an extent as well, the brain requires time to recover. Mm-hmm. The brain, brain literally has to re, regenerate some of those what we call dopamine transport system that, that distributes dopamine in the brain. Dopamine means about pleasure, just to say. Right. Pleasure, desire, wanting. Mm-hmm. And that can take up to two years. So in that time, gradually, people are going to experience a decrease, but they can be very impulsive. They can be very depressed. They can be what we call anhedonic, which means that they are unable to experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it can be a, a problem, a real chronic problem for people. You know, one of the things that I experienced, in, and this is another kind of chemsex I wanted to talk about. And, and by the way, in the world of uh, addiction treatment, there are disagreements about what to call chemsex. Because right. to me, when you put a chemical with sex and they come combined, you've got chemsex. I know some of the gay male world has sort of adopted that and said, oh, well, chemsex merely means a gay man who's acting out with stimulants and sex. But that's not really true. In the real world, we have people who act out with alcohol and sex. We have people who act out with heroin and sex. We have people who act out with opiates and sex. And for those people, they also get into paired addictions, maybe not in the same way. Maybe more, they have a sexual behavior they feel ashamed about, and then they drink to make themselves feel better, but they can't have sex unless they're drinking. I've had clients who felt so ashamed or hated that they, you know, their orientation or how they felt about their gender, that in order to go out and be sexual, they had to get high first and they couldn't have sex unless they were high. To me, those are paired chem sex or drug and sex interactions that, that also need to be handled with specialty care, not just an average drug and alcohol center. Would you, I mean, do you get, do you agree with that part too? I totally agree with that. I think uh, there's different kind of iterations of this where you can have cycling where people go from one to the other, where I've had many clients who are uncomfortable with some aspect of sexuality, whether it was their orientation or just being sexual in general and and use drugs to kind of derive some comfort in that or or kind of disinhibit. So yeah, there's, there's all these different cycles that happen. And yeah, and chemsex, a lot of the gay community has adopted the term. It came out of the gay community in the United Kingdom. And it's this package of shame and, and other things that gay men experience. But I think if we take a step back, those are probably pretty universal experiences for a lot of people 
Uh, the shame, the manifestation of shame may be different, but I think shame underlies almost all addiction anyway for everyone. Well, certainly a lack of, of feeling worthwhile or lovable for sure. Um, yeah. And low self-esteem and all of that. I also think to myself, and I wanted to say to you guys, you might say, well, oh my God, Rob's a great therapist. He's written some really good books on sex. He understands sex addiction. Why would he be working with another PhD sexologist professional like Dr. Fawcett? In other words, why do I need to bring another 30 years of addiction experience to this table when I've already got 30? And the reality is, is that my experience is mostly in sexual behavior, problem sexual behavior, and family issues. So I talk about sex addiction, I talk about intimacy disorders, I talk about healing, cheating, and infidelity, and ultimately pro-dependence, how to deal with living and with and loving an addict. But David's experience, Dr. Foss's experience, has been much more focused on the drug piece, and that's not in my world. So in order for me to really embrace the chemsex piece, I had to join with a person who focuses on the chemicals. And David and I, interestingly, have, have run into each other in a number of conferences, and he hears me talking about sex, and I hear him talking about drugs. I'm like, well, wait a minute, we're talking about the same issue from different ends of the perspective. Maybe we should join forces. And I think what we're creating is the first series of treatment environments that addresses fully both issues. And I'm really thrilled about that because I've spent many years in this field being frustrated with therapists who get someone in addiction treatment. And David, Lord knows, they asked him about eating and exercise and family issues and how'd you do in high school and, you know, but they never asked them about sex. They never asked them about intimacy. It's like, it's like that doesn't matter somehow when you go to a treatment center. And of course it matters so much. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. And what is exciting for me about this work at Seeking Integrity is that that issue, the intimacy and attachment, all those issues that come up for a recovering drug addict who's, where there's paired drug and sex, that's what interferes and keeps them from getting sober because they often relapse over those issues, how to be intimate. A lot of uh, addicts, particularly uh, sexual minorities or many other people as well, really have trouble being comfortable with sex. I know a lot of heterosexual men, <laughs> and I would call them the majority, yeah. who really struggle, although there are more women than men, um, who really struggle with intimacy. And a lot of it has to do with how they were raised and what they learned about it. And, you know, I do want everyone out there to understand, and I hope that you all get this, that David and I have no judgment around any of this. You know, unless someone is truly causing physical harm or violence to another person, then the behaviors are really coming out of a place of pain and brokenness in the person who's acting them out. That doesn't mean they're not accountable and responsible. doesn't mean their partner doesn't have every right to be angry and hurt. But we can stand back and say, wow, we feel the compassion and the empathy for these people. And I think it's really important to point out that we're not really prescriptive in terms of sexual behavior either, as long as it's not addictive per se. I think People can have different tastes, uh, but I think the danger for me, at least with chemsex, is if something has been paired with that drug behavior, it's going to be, it's going to link. Uh, so if they have a sexual activity that has been paired with uh, meth use, for example, um, that's a dangerous activity. Well, it's interesting because the only part that we've talked about chemsex or meth or, or drug sex addictions 
is the part about people who will pair them for the drug piece. But then, then there's the other folks that we really haven't talked about, which is, you know, how they struggle with their orientation. They struggle to accept who they are. They struggle. And then they find that drugs and alcohol make them at least able to tolerate what turns them on or who turns them on. But then they become paired too. They can't not go out for sex and not drink. It's interesting, David, that we've talked mostly about the um, chemsex guys who you say often lose desire after they get sober and because everything's kind of miserable, their brains are miserable. But I've also worked with people who, if we don't teach them how to avoid certain sexual triggers, they're going to go out and use. I know people who, yeah, we've dealt with a drug problem, but they did all their drugs with prostitutes. <laughs> yeah, we dealt with a drug problem, but they did all their drugs with their affair partner. And therefore, when they go back to the prostitutes or back to the bathhouse or back to the affair partner, that's where the drugs are. And no one has counseled them or worked with them in treatment because no one's talked to them in depth about sex. No one has made the comparison often in treatment or, the, or the, drawn the line between the people and places they're involved with for sex and how that can lead back to drugs. And that's, I think, especially true with this paired substance abuse and sexual phenomenon, because there's so many triggers out there. And what we know with amphetamines, particularly, they increase visual acuity. So people become highly sensitized to triggers. So, oh, that's what men need, more visual well, acuity exactly. toward porn. So, so think about, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, think about porn mm -hmm. for someone who's trying, who has this paired sex and, and uh, drug. drug problem. Mm -hmm. Think about the, the, the danger and risk of porn, because it just mm -hmm. triggers. And it, as soon as they're triggered for sex, they will become triggered for drugs. And it's, that's a huge factor for relapse. And the, the, the other thing I'll say is a huge relapse factor is boredom. You know, going back to what we mentioned earlier about this constant need for stimulation, people kind of really need to reset their brain circuitry so they can tolerate being still. Well, I think of uh, one of my dearest friends, uh, Michael Alvarez, is a, a teacher and a mentor and a therapist, said to me once, you know, a life well lived in recovery should be just one notch above boredom. Just one notch on the belt loop above. And if you think about a good life, you know, we have some really happy times, some really sad times. But most of the times, you're hopefully just a little happier than not. <laughs> but our clients go through intense highs and then lows and highs and then lows with their drugs and their relationships. And this is what we want them to avoid. What David's speaking about is the avoidance of all that intensity leaves a hole. And people want to fill that hole with a lot of noise and a lot of stuff in order to distract themselves from what's really inside, which is often pain. And I would say what we're doing at Seeking Integrity is really focusing on the force of connection, right? Human connection as the healing force in this, because that, that hole you just mentioned, I think human connection is what fills it in, whether it's family, friends, a recovery group, uh, a support group, whatever. But I think that's the essential element that has to replace that need for a fix. And I want to say, um, even though we're not yet treating them for female addicts, I think women alcoholics and drug addicts, one of the, if not the primary issue that they relapse over or that they drink and use over is problems with relationships and intimacy. I can't tell you how many women I've worked with who said, I'm never going to date someone again. <laughs> I'm just going to be, you know, I've had so many bad experiences. I just want to drink quietly to myself and be left alone you know, or something like that. So this whole area of intimacy, sexuality, relationship, how can we not be looking at it when it is what brings us passion and creativity and a sense of being alive? And without connection, we have no happiness. And, and I think that's the real, the really terrible cost of this addiction is that it, it robs us of that essential kind of human pleasure, not, not just of physical sex, but of that emotional piece. Well, intimacy, intimacy, which is not about sex, folks. Intimacy is not about sex. Intimacy is about being known fully. 
fully by making yourself vulnerable to a partner and having them know everything about you and accept you anyway. That's what intimacy is. And sex might come out of that. <laughs> but sexual intimacy is not necessarily something that can happen with a stranger. Sex right. can happen with a stranger. You can do things that feel intimate to you with a stranger, but relationship intimacy is built over time by getting to know someone. And that really is the difference, by the way, between a fast hookup and a meaningful relationship. David, we're a couple of old codgers. I mean, not no offense to you, but you know, we've been in the field for 20, 30 years, and you think we would you know, kind of have this all licked and solved by now, but here we are just beginning to come together with new ideas and new ways of doing treatment. And I have to say that everything we talk about, if I really listen to it, has a lot to do with wanting to decrease relapse, to decrease recidivism, to try to help people stay sober. And it feels like by looking at intimacy and sex, we're looking at a factor that contributes to relapse that not a lot of people have spent enough time with. I would say it's the single biggest factor. Really? Uh, I've worked with addicts for over 30 years and uh, whether it's amphetamines or not, when back in the cocaine days, I worked, whether it's just alcohol, I think a lot of this is an inability to kind of sustain a connection that feeds one's heart. And I think in addition to focusing on drugs and sex, that really is the cornerstone of the work that we're doing or the keystone is that we are looking at attachment and we are looking at intimacy and we're looking at relationships for every addict that comes in at their relationship history and how they carry out relationships. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with drinking or using? And I would say everything because what people are filling up when they're trying to drink and use is the hole that comes from being alone or feeling unknown or unloved. And when we can teach people and treatment, even in treatment in a couple of weeks, we can get people to feel what it feels like to be with healthy, loving friends and family. We can create the safety that that feels like. And my belief is that once a client has that experience, they're going to want to have more of it in their lives. It feels good. It feels good to be connected. It sure does. So let me say this. We are uh, conducting two-week sex and drug addiction programs. We're doing sex addiction programming and all of that on seekingintegrity.com. I invite you to look it over because what we're trying to do is, and it's another part of seeking integrity. We're trying to avoid, avoid some of the insurance traps, some of the nightmares that are going on in the mental health industry. We really want to show some integrity around the work we do and the way that we conduct it. Some of you may have seen an article I wrote called What's Wrong with Addiction Treatment and How We Can Fix It? Um, I, that was all over recently. And I wrote out a whole bunch of things that I think the industry's kind of gone wrong. So much has become about money. So much of it has become about payment. So much has become about style rather than substance. And we're really trying to introduce a deep layer of substance into the work that we do. And yet the first thing someone says, because this is what they're conditioned to do is what does the house look like? How many bathrooms are there? Will there be yoga? You know, and that's not necessarily what treatment's about, but boy, have we informed the public that that's what they should be looking for. Exactly right. And it's frustrating, right? It's very frustrating when we have when we're trying so hard to to build this quality, excellent program that's so needed. And I think just in general, the industry, the treatment industry, has really kind of uh, slapped a label on to appeal to different market trends. For mm -hmm. example, a, a gay track, um, but they don't really address these problems. And I suspect we'll see some more places trying to really talk about sexual issues. But I think uh, to have that real in depth understanding that we bring to the table of intimacy and attachment and, and the chemical addiction and how they fit together. They're interlocked. And I think until we recognize that and help people move past that, it's going to be a real problem. It's going to affect people's ability to stay clean and sober. So are we being as simple, simplistic as to say that love and intimacy and connection are the deepest sources of healing? 
I don't think that's a stretch at all. I think that's absolutely the truth. Once someone is stable enough to receive it and is able to receive it, I mean, folks, I, I think you get from what we talk about here or what I talk about that, you know, without relationships, we don't live as long. We're not as happy. We're not as creative. Relationships are something that make us more whole and better. And our, and all relationships across the board, friendships, working relationships, community, church, all of it. And those of us who keep ourselves a little bit apart, a little bit separate from, a little bit distant from those relationships are going to need to find a way to fill the emptiness. And that is every addict I've ever met. And, and I would add to that, one of the critical things I think we work on in our program is helping someone create a relationship with themselves. Because I think until they know themselves and then accept themselves and look at themselves with compassion, it's going to be really hard to see them, uh, themselves as, as being worthy of love or being worthy of someone that they can be intimate with. And our first program opened in Encino or in Los Angeles very recently. I'm really excited. By the way, in case we sound a little down, David and I have been <laughs> running around training staff, buying furniture, putting putting houses together that we feel reflect the needs of our clients. And and for me, David, actually, it's been a joy to buy sheets and towels and because I know that there's love that I put into every choice that I made for that house. You know, I know I want it to reflect comfort and stability and not fashion, but comfort, but home. That word is very important to me. And, and, and I think value, value, I mean, value, valuing these clients, not making, well, making people feel valued, making feel people. Yeah, exactly. Because oftentimes they don't themselves. And you're off to Asia to start another one of our programs pretty soon. Yeah. I'm so excited. We are going to be opening in uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, mm -hmm. at a uh, place called Lana that uh, will have these same programs that we're currently doing. Los Seeking Angeles. integrity at Lana. So there'll be sex, drug and uh, sex and drug addiction. I, I, you know, I don't say drug and sex addiction because then people think I'm a drug addict and I'm a sex addict. A lot of people don't identify with that. So it has to be sort of sex and drug addiction because there's the sex. But the anyway, it's hard to phrase all this and help people understand what it is that we're trying to do. Right. I think we're still kind of conceptualizing the language, but that's why I like the word paired or fused. Uh, that gives the idea that these two things go hand in hand and go together. And I do want to, since we're doing a treatment sort of show, I want to tell you folks, you know, my best advice to you after, you know, I've been in the C-suite and running a part of corporations that were evolving treatment and kind of making the mess I think we're in now, homogenizing treatment, making it all the centers look alike. Look for an expert. That's really your best bet, you know? And I, I know that one of the things that, one of the reasons I think David and I will be doing very well is because we are that. We have a combined 60 years of running treatment programs, evolving treatment, having PhDs. Lots of treatment centers have swimming pools. Lots of treatment centers have spa-like environments. Lots of treatment centers give individual therapy every day. But none of that may have anything to do with the quality of the care. And so you have to look at what people say about their experience going through those places and who they see as expert, who is advising them and managing them and running them. The treatment field has gone through a tremendous amount of change in the last, I would say, 10 years. Most of it not so positive. Some of it positive, more, more professionalized, more homogenized in some good ways. But um, but definitely, it is very hard for the consumer, in my opinion, to find out where they can get the best help they need. And the only way you can do that is by asking people. You won't find it by looking online at websites, because what you see on websites and treatment centers is everyone looks pretty, everyone looks happy, everyone looks hopeful, and everyone looks like their problem is cured. And that's not necessarily what treatment is. It's not all horse riding and yoga and getting massages. You know, it's a lot of hard work. And we don't want anyone to believe it's anything but. Hard work with the staff that believes in these clients and is willing to walk alongside them to, to get them on this process. Well, I also want to say to David, a couple other things about Dr. Fawcett before we go. Number one, I have talked him into, he, we have such fun podcasting that I've talked Dr. Fawcett into starting a podcast and his podcast is called Sex, uh, Love and Addiction. And it's going to deal with gay, bisexual and transgender 
men and issues. So this is going to be a show by the same name, Sex, Love, and Addiction, but it's for uh, gay, bisexual, and transgender men. David has spent 30 years with a lot of focus on that population, and they have special needs and special voices that need to be heard. So you'll be seeing David on sex and relationship healing every week, doing seminars and workshops and drop-in groups, and you can always contact him there. I want to remind anyone who's listening that, you know, back in the day, not so long ago, the people that I admired in the field, whether it was John Bradshaw or Claudia Black or whoever these people were, you know, I could see them in a conference or I might be able to buy their book. Maybe if I was lucky, they might sign my book. But, um, but today you can talk to me twice a week online, live. You can talk to David once or twice a week live online. We intend to make, to take the mystery out of all this. And we'll be the experts that will, you know, whether you come see us or go somewhere else, at least we can help you get good information and clear answers. And you'll find us on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. Dr. Fawcett, David, my friend and colleague, so glad to have you along for the ride. I think we're going to do some really good work and hopefully help people find the love and the connection that we all long for. Till next show, we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.